The Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Land Trust. Have you heard how landowners are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use? Millions of outdoor recreators seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Landowners are partnering with the Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit landtrust.com/boa as in business of agriculture to learn more. That's landtrust.com/boa. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. I'm your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that because it said so in the introduction. Got a fantastic episode for you today with multiple guests giving you different perspectives on more discussion about carbon. You're saying, Damian, about, you know, like six or 10 months ago, you did an episode about that. Yes, I did. Actually, I've done two. This is the third episode about this whole issue of carbon because I believe this is a very, very hot topic for us in the business of agriculture. We are going to uh, be looking at this as a revenue source. Any meeting that I have attended for the last year, this has become something that you'll hear at uh, at least every other meeting. There are big ag companies hopping into this. There are also non-ag companies hopping into this. So what we're going to talk about today is the carbon payment and what you can do, even if you're not a row crop farmer, because the previous episode I did back in the wintertime was with a guy named Kelly Garrett. Kelly is uh, my friend, and now actually I've partnered with him with Extreme Ag. As you may have heard me talk about Extreme Ag, you can go to extremeag.farm and learn about some of the farming things they are doing. And so Extreme Ag and Kelly um, you know, are, are a different kind of a model. I'm going to talk today to some ranchers. That's right. We're talking to uh, the Obrex that run Louis Petrie Ranch out in Montana. We're also going to be talking to Chris Mayhus, and he is with the Western Sustainability Exchange. We're going to be talking about how they get carbon payments uh, for their ranch in Montana, what they're doing with it, who's paying it, how the business works, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, if you're like me, you're a little bit suspect of some of this stuff because multiple years now we've been hearing about this. And until the last one year, I've never known anybody that actually got any money. After all, ranching and farming, it's a business. That's why we have the Business of Agriculture podcast. So we want to make sure these guys are actually getting some money and we're going to tell you how it works, how it's working for them. And then maybe even some things that you can look out for if you're starting to go down this road uh, as you may be approached or you may approach others about how to get carbon credits for your farm. Okay. Welcome to the show. I got approached by Tyrell Obrek. Uh, he's a young guy. You know, he's, he's the guy that's going to take over the family ranch. So he's on the episode. Tyrell, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Damian. All right. His father, Sam. Sam is coming to us from the home ranch office. Good Montana guy. Got imagery of if you're not if you're listening to this, and you're not watching it. He's got he's got the imagery of the ranch, you know, like like if this was the beginning of Bonanza, the flame would start and the map would start burning right now. And he'd come riding in on a horse. He's Paul. He's he's Paul Cartwright. Right. He got the gun safe in the background. He's got the ranch imagery. Anyway, Sam, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. All right. And then we've got Chris. It's Mayhus. I'm saying that correctly. Right. And Chris Mayhus is a uh, is with uh, Livingston, Montana, is where he's coming from. But his company is organizations called Western Sustainability Exchange. Western Sustainability Exchange in one sentence does what? We help farmers and ranchers to be more sustainable, more regenerative 
and to get access to new innovative markets in reward for those good practices. All right. So, Ty, you contacted me uh, because you keep up with some of my stuff and you know this is a topic that I think merits a, a good bit of discussion because it's coming. It's coming sometimes because of regulatory issues from uh, the administration. Some, some things are being shook down in Washington, D.C., some stuff, directives we're hearing out of the United States Department of Agriculture. Also, the big companies. Uh, True Terra is a, an offshoot of Lando Lakes. They're talking about carbon. Uh, Bayer, I spoke at a Bayer meeting this summer, and they're talking about getting in line to do payments. And I just met a guy yesterday, got out of the seed business to join a company. And that company, in fact, he gave me his card, is called Agoro. I haven't even looked him up yet. I just bumped into him two days ago. And I said, oh, that's very interesting that you're out there and you're in the carbon markets now for agriculture. So this is a hot new thing. It's going to be in all it's going to be on all of our plates uh, here if it is not already. And so what we need to know is what the hell's going on? Let's start at the very beginning, though. Sam, you're probably a little older than me. I'm 52 years old. You're what? Second, third, fifth generation rancher out there in uh, big sky country. Yeah, fifth. I'll be uh no, I'm the fourth. Ty is the fifth, and my our new granddaughter is the sixth. Good deal. So uh, Ty comes to you here six or eight months ago and says, Dad, I think there's something to this carbon thing. Comment, tell me what happens there at the Louis Petrie Ranch and then what your first reaction was uh, when you heard about this. Well, we're, you know, we're a cow-calf operation and um, raise cat. we sell our cows in the fall, and that's pretty much what we do. Uh, my first reaction, I teased Tyrell, it was a little bit like uh, – the movie Jerry Maguire. I said, "Show me the money." Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm I'll be 61 here in a couple of days, um, so I'm a little bit old school, but I'm not opposed to new ideas. And and if we want youth in agriculture, you have to let them kind of have the reins. And so I just Tyrell's done all the legwork, and and him and Chris have worked together a bunch, but. I'm learning as we go and I'm not opposed. We just, we want to be careful, take baby steps, but I, I think it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, to the, per- I, I have a, a pretty, uh, a pretty wide span of listeners to this. You know, I got uh, somebody that sells uh, chemicals in Texas and I've got a machinery dealer and I've got a cranberry person or a food processor. So the person that maybe doesn't know a lot about what happens out there in big sky country, let's start with what the business model is, because essentially this is a new revenue stream for you. Because when you're a rancher in Montana, do you grow crops or is it just the cattle crop? Just pretty much the cattle crop. Okay. And so to the person that doesn't understand how that works real quickly, you've got thousands of acres of land that take us from there. And then you probably rent some land maybe, or have some BLM land kind of tell us the business model in a nutshell. Um, our ranch is about half needed and half BLM and state basically. And uh, you know, you just, you've got a cattle herd that we, we calve out in April and May. Uh, and in the summertime, you mentioned crops, we grow some hay and some hay barley and some oats, but all of, most of it's feed for the cattle. You do that in the summer, irrigate, fence, and then in the fall, you're about, well, we've preconditioned, which is the second round of shots for the calves. We've pregnancy tested the, the yearlings. We will pregnancy test and wean in about a month, and then you get ready for winter. Which is a big job in Montana. So your crop then, uh, to the person that's trying to understand the business, is you've got a whole bunch of ground. You rent. You don't pay a lot of rent because there's not a lot of return on the BLM uh, type of uh, government ground. Uh, you produce these calves. So your revenue happens generally in the fall. You you take a bunch of 
600 pound weaned calves to market in the fall. That's your revenue for the year. Is that pretty much accurate? Pretty much. Cull cows come after that, Damien, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, and then I guess we do have some farm ground. Um, I'm trying to remember when we purchased it that we cash run out to some neighbors because we, we don't have the equipment to farm. So that's another income stream. Right. So then Tyrell, you come along, you're a young guy, you got a new baby. You say, I want to be uh, my fourth generation. I want it to be that I can stay out here. We need more revenue on this ranch to keep us going. And how did this whole carbon thing come about? Well, it started, so I was living in Lewistown, Montana, and I was a banker. And I went to uh, a presentation NRCS put on a guy named Josh Ducart, and he talked more um, grazing some cover crops, grazing corn stalks with his cows. And I kind of saw how he increased numbers on his ranch, very similar climate to mine, northern North Dakota. And I started studying this when I came home. We hired a grazing consultant named Roland Cruz of Crossroads uh, Ranch Consulting. And he's kind of a Alan Savory type guy, you know, high intensity rotation. And him and I and dad just kind of spitballed ideas for a couple of days. The guy Roland introduced me via email to Chris and just said, hey, Tyrell, I know you guys want to run a few more cows. You're going to need water to do it. Here's a program Chris has to help cost share that pipeline. So we've just been going from there. Um, you know, my, my biggest goal, is it's definitely a good thing on a dry year like this year, but I, I think our ranch has been a little bit understocked. So, you know, the, uh, the return on the return on investment to run a few more cows and not buy any acres is pretty huge. And that's pretty enticing to me. And, and Chris came with some cost share, you know, it's not cheap to install the infrastructure and that's kind of where we've been going with that. Okay. So you've got a banker background as well as being a ranch kid. So you're looking at this about the money, which is how we should always look at our business, family business, ranching business, farming business, whatever you look at the money, Tyrell. And then essentially what you said, and again, that's why I want to talk about the business model, because again, a lot of folks are like, what, what are these, these ranchers out there? They have cows, but really they don't even know how you make money. You know, you're selling a calf crop, right? So you just said, if you can get some carbon money that in, that change it and it's based on your practices. You're essentially saying we're going to adhere to a bunch of environmentally compliant, sustainable, um, you know, some new way of thinking about how we graze, how we don't overgraze, how we, uh, you know, group graze and rotational graze and all those things, which you can explain in a minute. And by doing that, somebody's going to give you money uh, for the environmental stewardship aspect of it. And what you looked at was, they give me that money. That means, and through the practices, I can throw a couple more cows per section, maybe something. Is that what we're ta talking about? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're learning most. So, so we're not sure on the, the actual numbers, but yeah. So you, you give them your baseline grazing, which we have done, you know, my dad and grandpa have always done rotational grazing. And then you kind of tell them what you think you can do with some water infrastructure. And they, they base that model on, carbon that they believe you can sequester and that that initial payment is to get the infrastructure installed and uh and then you know you have to sequester carbon throughout the years to, to pay that infrastructure back and then longer term once the infrastructure is recouped there's some available compensation for the carbon sequestered over the next 20 years all right chris you approached him, he approached you. Tell me how this works. He just threw out a bunch of big words, water, infrastructure, carbon sequestration, et cetera. How does it work? How, what's he got to do? 
So I would sum it up to say that essentially there are areas that are overgrazed, there are areas that are undergrazed. Uh, we're, we're trying to create a scenario where we get more uniform grazing. So we're trying to create a situation where cattle are not allowed to selectively graze. So we're talking about uns, unselective grazing. So the cows are put out there in a mob and they're moved frequently, which provides for rest. And so there's two big concepts here. One is non-selective grazing and the other one is longer and more complete rest periods so that those plants get a chance to recover. Yeah. You, a lot of rest, folks, you, you don't mean rest for the cows. You mean rest for the plot of ground, rest for the plot of ground so that then the plant life comes back and is thicker and more vibrant, right? Right, right. And we're being more aggressive with our grazing management so that we are we're, we're, we're deferring the season of use by longer and longer periods. And so we're not hitting those plants at the same time every year and allowing animals to select for plants that they want, which eventually weeds them out of the plant community. Okay. What are they doing with water? You, you know, he says he's going to put in water infrastructure. It's pretty dry out there where they are. It also freezes about eight months of the year. What, what are you talking about? What are you doing with this? What are you doing with this water infrastructure? Right. So they've got a budget built for uh, a budget and a build out plan for miles of pipeline, additional wells, uh, solar developments, wind developments, water distribution tanks, distribution lines, all kinds of infrastructure that goes to distributing water across their ranch so that they can more intentionally rotationally graze their pasture. So they're okay. able to they're able to cover a lot more of the ground at, at a much varied time of year. All right. Benefit to the environment. The reason this matters to anybody is that the plant life is healthier and therefore sucks in more carbon out of the atmosphere. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. So more, more dense plants, more diversity of plants leads to more carbon in the soil. And that's a tradable commodity. So that's Sam, you said, show me the money. That's where the money comes from is it's there's a, we're creating a voluntary market for companies that want to purchase these carbon credits, want to purchase or help offset the cost of this environmental benefit. And so that's where it's coming from right now. All right, Ty, is, is it look to you like it's working? Yeah, so we're installing an infrastructure this spring, uh, this coming spring. So we haven't necessarily seen it on a large scale. We have dissected some pastures and, and kept cattle on an area for a shorter amount of time and allowed rest. And we've seen a couple dry summers I don't think we've necessarily grown any more grass yet, but we've had positive regrowth, uh, which to me just shows a more efficient use and allowing that rest. I think we're using our grass more efficiently so far, so I think the water's installed. It'll work on a larger scale. Well, the water's going to be good because you need water, especially where you are, because you don't get as much precipitation. And you said the URC will play life. Sam, all right, you're yes. kind of old school. Uh, is this all just snake oil? I mean, what the hell? Carbon here, carbon there. Is this all just a bunch of funny money out there? I don't think so. Um, you know, if we're going to make a difference in the world, I, I'm not sure. But like Tyrell said, we've done a few little projects where we've, we've cut a half section in half and then cut those, those 160 acres into three chunks, grazed them with heavy density. Two dry years since, we can't tell any difference. So I don't think we're going to hurt the resource. I think there's something to it, Damien, but it it's going to take time. I, I, I tell Tyrell, I wish I was 50 instead of 60, because I think it's going to be five or six years down the road before we can really see any impact. 
Yeah. So, I mean, carbon is the, the, the stuff of life. You know, my Iowa guy, uh, when we talk about this, Kelly Garrett says, hey, man, I want carbon in that soil because uh, there's a lot of benefit to having more carbon in the soil, utilization of resources, et cetera, et cetera. So let's get into that. Chris or Tyrell, what do you got on um, why do I why do I want this? You know, he says he's getting more vegetation, but that could simply be because he's more properly grazing or he's got more water now. Is the carbon in the soil going to make it a better grass crop, a better legume crop for his cattle? Because that's what you want to, you know, he's trying to put, he's trying to put pounds of protein on animals. Yeah. So I can jump in on that really quick. So I, I talked before about rest. Well, what that rest and recovery allows for is stockpiling of forage. And so as opposed to the former model of grazing, where there's even a lot of overgrazing, a lot of undergrazing, this but extended these extended rest periods allow for forage to stockpile and then protect the soil surface. And that that protection of the soil surface, that accumulation of detritus or, or dead plant material is what really results in a healthier soil. So soil temperature is lower. Uh, the soil is able to to hold moisture longer. It's able to absorb more moisture. And that's what allows for increase in that biological activity or carbon, as you described. Does carbon help it absorb more water? Does carbon help the? Does carbon help it uh, have more uh, water absorptive capacity? Yes. Yeah, so just think of adding organic matter or any kind of peat moss or fertilizer, well, not fertilizer necessarily, but you know any kind of organic matter to your soil. That's gonna that's gonna break up the the clumpiness, the the clay properties. It's going to allow for more aeration, more, uh, greater porosity in the soil. And, and that organic matter does hold on to and preserve moisture. I actually knew the answer to all that. I was playing dumb for our listeners. Ninth in the nation in the land pasture and range soil analysis competition in 1987 in the FFA, when it was still called Future Farmers of America, I might add, was going to be an agronomist, but too goddamn much science. So anyway, all right, let's go back to... Uh, <laughs> Let's go back to the money thing. Let's face it. These guys are a business. One of these guys quit the banking business. Probably a mistake. He's going to end up out there saying, what in the hell did I do this for? I'm out here chasing cows around, uh, you know, shoving my arm up a cow's rectum uh, to, to check it. I used to just sit at a desk and like tell people they were not worthy of loans and I got paid for it. What am I doing? Tyrell, is this going to work out? Are you going to make money? And where's this money coming from? How much money are you making on this carbon thing? Talk about money. You're the banker. Well, so for starters, uh, the cost shares about it's negotiable, but Native Energy Project put up about half the cost. So they came in on the budget and we, we did some negotiating over probably a 12 month period. And our, our infrastructure costs, they came back and said, well, we'll pay for about half of it. Came out to about 150000 and how that that's a payment of two years to help offset the cost of installing it. And then long term, this carbon's at about $1.60 a ton. And the grazing model, we're still learning, Damien. So it's probably going to take four or five years to pay that back. And then... Once that's paid back, they'll come back out and sample the soil. They'll verify their model and make sure make sure they're not overpaying or underpaying. Native, and then long term, that that carbon is paid at five five dollars a ton. Okay, so let's just go through it again. Native Energy Project is not it's not their money. They get money from private sources. Am I correct in saying that? Correct. Yep. All right. So that could be 
Joe uh, Blow, that's a real environmental guy who's got a trust fund and he just wants to give money to carbon credits. Or it could be uh, Google. Uh, tell me a little bit where their money comes from. Do you know? Yeah, so the, the original funding on the first four ranches that signed up with this, uh, the major funder was Zantara Parks and Rec. They handle a lot of your souvenir concession stands, Yellowstone National Park, Grand Canyon, stuff like that. Um, there's a couple of small clothing companies out of San Francisco. And then recently, uh, Gucci, Italian leather, just bought some carbon credits from them. And, um, you know, I know I know another one, Bernie Sanders bought carbon credits from this company to offset his carbon footprint on his 2020 run for president. So, the, you know, between Gucci and Bernie, there are there are some bigger names there. Well, oh, yeah. Ty, didn't they didn't they mention Disney and uh, Shell Oil too? Or well, Disney, Disney, and uh, a couple other companies. Wrangler was supposed to be there, I believe, but they were at a meeting in Big Timber a couple of years ago. I'm not sure how far that's gone. Okay, so one thing we can rest assured is that Bernie's Bernie's donors might have paid for that, but Bernie didn't come out with any of his actual money to pay for that. That's just my speculation. So here's. Uh, uh, here's the, the thing. <clears throat> Those numbers you gave me, you said something about $1.60 a ton, and you said something about so many dollars per acre. And now the reality is this is happening at your ranch and four other ranches in Montana. Hopefully we end up getting all ranches signed up. But give me those numbers again, because I hear a lot of different numbers about tons and dollars and tons per acre and all that. It seems like the, there's not really a market. If I wanted to sell a bushel of corn, when I hang up the, the on this podcast, I know exactly I can go to one of these places within 20 miles of my farm and I know exactly what that price of corn is, period. And I can also price it for January, March, whatever. Carbon, what the hell? It ain't a real marketplace. Am I right? I yeah, I mean, there. go ahead, Chris. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was going to say, I mean, we really are creating a new market here. We've got willing buyers and we've got willing sellers. So it's a free market system, but the value of it is still being being determined. And so there is a real value for carbon. There's a real value for renewable energy type credits. And the company that we work with, Native Energy, it's a B corporation. They've been in this business for 20 or 30 years selling wind energy, solar energy, carbon out of forestry projects, methane projects. These ag projects are pretty new. So the guy you talked to about you know, commodity or, or uh, farming practices, we're, we're working on a ranching and a grazing one. But this is very new, Damien. So you're right. It, there's a lot of speculation there. There's a lot of real that has to take place in forming a price in a market system that's fair and accountable. So we're we're really creating all of those pieces, and that's why there's so much uncertainty. Right now, on, on most of these five branches that we've worked with, the, the average that we're looking at, and we've looked at eight or 10 more recently, the average is looking at about three, three to $4 an acre is kind of the midpoint. And so that comes from a price per ton, which is what the companies are buying. And then it comes from a tonnage per acre, which is based on the ranch, the soil, the the cows, the difference they can make in their grazing management and what the model tells us they can project in terms of a creation of carbon in tons per acre. And so that all needs to be determined. Okay. So what I just heard, that's, 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 thank you. Uh, while I've had a couple of these discussions, some of our listeners will have not had as many of these discussions. So the, the acre can suck in a certain amount of carbon. It's not infinite. I mean, it's, it can suck in a certain amount. Practices will dictate that to a certain degree. If you're out here in my part of the world, 
run the moldboard plow across your cornfield every year. And you know, you ain't, you ain't doing it. If you're cover cropping, you're going to do it. I mean, there's all these different things that will suck in more carbon in your part of the world. You're not plowing and doing that you're, you're ranching. So it's a matter of new growth, um, new growth, more dense growth. I'm a guessing, I don't know, more dense growth of the plants and the right kinds of plants sucking in more carbon. You said that then a dollar 60 a ton was what uh, Tyrell said. And then at that number, we're talking about maybe two to two, uh, two to two and a half tons per acre of carbon that you think we're sucking into their, the, the Petri ranch. Correct. Okay. Right. And that, and, and just to clarify how the payment scheme works, there's two different ways to get paid under this program. So the one that the Louis Petri Ranch is working under is a help build. Ty refers to it as cost share. It's basically the same kind of a concept, but he's basically getting an advance payment of future carbon credit earnings. So Native Energy, you know, they come up with an investment they can make upfront based on the modeling to help with that infrastructure build out so they can get those grazing changes in place sooner. So that advance payment, that help build gets paid back over the life of the contract. The alternative, to, so under the help build, there's a discount that goes to that payment because Native Energy is taking some of the risk themselves in making that upfront investment. So that $1.60 reflects that discount. If okay. you enter into just a regular vintage contract, then you would get paid the actual price per ton every year that you earn without the discount. So that there's those two alternatives. If you don't need the money up front for the infrastructure, then you can just go straight vintage. Do you have to do infrastructure? Could you say, I've got pretty much what I need. I'm just going to do better uh, management of my cows and move them more frequently and reseed some areas. Uh, I don't know if that happens or not. And say, I'm going to change my plant vegetation and my, and then I just want to get signed up. Or is it generally always a company, uh, an infrastructure uh, development? Generally, every, most people could use some more water. I mean, that's the that's kind of the limiting factor out here is, you know, electric fence. There's some people using electric collars now, uh, radio collars to manage livestock. Um, but water is really the limiting factor. We have come across a few ranches recently that have used Equip, some uh, conservation organization monies to build out their water, and they're good. So it varies, but mo by and large, most people need more water development to get this done right. I'm looking at Sam up here. And again, you're probably listening. A few of you are viewing. If you're not viewing, I encourage you to go to the Damien Mason channel. That's just go to YouTube, type in the Damien Mason channel. It's real simple because you can view my podcast. You can also view all my ag commentary, all my stuff. And I'd really like to have more subscribers. Anyway, I was looking over there at the image of Sam. You were talking about what most all the Montana ranchers need more of. I think they also need more Californians as neighbors. I mean, from my understanding, I think if we could get more California people to sell out of expensive real estate in California and move to Montana, every Montana I know wants more Californians coming to the state. Am I right when I say that, Sam? Uh, I think you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're crazy, but go ahead. I'm, you're entertaining. All right. Louis Petrie Ranch. This is... This is something new you're trying. A uh, few other ranches did it. You're, you're, like you said, you're taking baby steps. What could possibly go wrong with this? Okay, the one thing would be that, that they don't pay. But if you're doing ranch improvements and if you can figure out a way to make it work, is other than defaulting, other than whoever gave you the money defaulting, is there any downside to any of this? Not, not as long as we go slow. 
if they default, if we get the infrastructure in, like Chris mentioned, water is huge. That's going to benefit us, hopefully, generations down the road. The water is going to be there. We've already drilled a well, and we and it's a, a decent well, so that's the first step. But um, the only, I guess the only downside would be, and that's what I, I told my, my dad's still involved. He's close to 80 years old. But I told him, I said, you know, if we put a bunch of cows on a half section and we think it ruins it, maybe beats that grass into the ground, it looks like hell. I, the prairie is very resilient. So we lose a half section for four or five years till it recovers. I don't see a downside. I'm, I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses, maybe, but I don't think as long as we take our time, you know, we've like Tyrell and I both mentioned earlier, we've done small projects and just have not seen any negative repercussions. What's next Tyrell. You're the young guy quit his job at the bank. Now you're out here figuring out how you got to make this thing roll. What's next more of this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think as you go, you learn that you just can't have enough water. But, uh, you know, next year the water will get installed. And I think spring of 2023, you really see some more, you know, 160 and 80 acre grazing paddocks. And you're just hitting that grass for instead of one pasture for 30 days, you hit four pastures for, you know, seven to 10 days and, and you rotate around and start to build that database with soil information and, and look to sell that carbon, hopefully. I'm being real uh, frank here, and some people may not like this, but I think we have to do it. We owe it to our listener. How much money on a percentage basis? You know, uh, be, be real honest here. You know, I, I get approached, somebody wants to do something with me, and they're going to give me, you know, $100. And I'm like, hey, no offense, but $100 don't mean a whole hell of a lot if it takes much time from what I'm really doing here. <laughs> you know, let's face it. On a percentage basis, I mean – is this, is this 10%? Is this amount to, is this a 10% bump on the Petrie ranch? Is it 5%? Is it 25%? What do you think this is right now or can be in terms of, you know, how many cows you got, for instance, at the Petrie ranch? I can answer that better when we verify carbon in a few years, but I would say realistically between 10 and 15 is, okay. is pretty close. I 20 would surprise me and five would disappoint me. Okay. So 10 to 15%, you mean this, this could end up being equating to 10 to 15% of annual revenue? Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's worth, it's worth pursuing. You know, if it was, if it was a couple percent, it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we'll, we're going to do that, but not if it requires, uh, you know, a lot of man hours. Right. Yeah. And, and that's just the carbon I'd like to add, Damien, you know, if it gets us, I think it's going to get us about a 10 to 15% increase in cow numbers too. So, you know, you sell another hundred steers at, or another hundred calves at even a $900 average, you know, you don't have a lot of cost into those extra calves. So I, I'd say if you factor in the extra cattle, you know, you're probably looking at like a 20% increase. Yeah. So what's the number of cow, what's the number of cow calf pairs that normally you would have out there? Th- thousand? <laughs> Too many in the spring and not enough in the fall. <coughs> no, go we ahead, Ty. No, we, we historically have 700 pair and 150 replacement yearlings. My goal is to get that up to 800 pair. And then, you know, the replacement yearlings will kind of be our, our drought monitoring herd, which people call it. So, you know, a year like this year, we're going to keep 100 or 150 because it's pretty dry. A year like 2019, where you get a lot of rain, you know, we might keep a couple hundred, 250 and, and get a little more selective on our breeding or something. That's kind of our fluctuation on drought management. Yeah. So I like it. So what you're really looking at is if this allows you not just uh, the payment from the carbon, but if it allows you to ranch better, 
meaning ranch with a little bit more certainty because it gives you a little more protection from uh, some some climatological issues. You know, it's dry, it's dry, it's, it's wet, whatever. Uh, I like that part of it. And it also gives you more efficiency per acre. Last question, you know, from the Beyond Burger to the Impossible uh, Meat uh, people, those people are zealots. Uh, you know, the founder of Impossible Meats is frankly about half loony. Um, he's... He's a zealot <clears throat> um, and he's they're pushing the whole angle that eating meat, particularly beef, is just destroying the environment. Now, most of this is a bunch of horse shit, but the, the average suburbanite uh, falls for it. The environmental story that you can tell that our animals are using cellulosic fiber off of land that's really only capable of growing grass. And now we're so darn good at it. We're getting more grass and we're also sequestering carbon and we would not be able to do that nearly as well. Were it not for the cows. This is an environmental story that we can tell in the face of impossible burger and beyond burger, or beyond meat, whatever it is. Is that how you guys see it shaping up? Let's go with Chris first. Yeah. You, one of the first concepts you mentioned was environmental stewardship. These are the people that for generations have taken care of this resource and they're learning things now that they can only improve on that. And so if you go out there today, you're going to see the quality of, of habitat and, and diversity of species that's out there across the landscape. Now that we know more about how to protect and take care of the soil, that's going to expand and give greater opportunities for these guys to become better stewards. We've just never been very good at telling that story, but they've been out there for five, six generations doing it, doing it well. I don't know that the the programs and the, the commodity groups that we currently have in place are poised or capable of doing the marketing necessary to tell that story. Uh, but let's hear it from a, from a guy that's been ranching his whole life. I, I think it's uh, necessary as we become more and more urban all the time, baby. And there's people who don't have a clue where the food comes from. So we have to, and we're bad at it. Ranching and agriculture in general, we're bad at patting ourselves on the back or telling our own story. Like you mentioned, this, our land is, it's, the terrain is not farmable. It's not like Indiana or Iowa. The only thing that's good for is a, a hoofed grazing animal, sheep, cows. So, you know, if, if we can make that resource better and, you know, add cows, add income over the years, every year it seems like costs go up. It takes more and more cows to make a living. So, and then the other thing, you, you see it back there, our real estate values are growing you know, exponentially. So rather than go out and spend hundreds of thousands or millions on a new ranch, maybe we can spend a fraction of that on our own ranch and make it better. Yeah. It's the old thing of to go down the road and purchase a, a chunk of ground that you're competing against some hedge fund billionaire or, or Ted Turner type. Um, if you can make, if you can squeeze a few more dollars out of every uh, acre you have, uh, you know, then all of a sudden it's, it's, it, it gives you a leg up. Tyrell, you're the one that contacted me with this great idea. And I said, yeah, I, I want to talk about this. Is there anything I didn't cover, anything I didn't ask you that I needed to ask? You said this is a 20-year project. You gave us some numbers. You did say one thing. I want you to clarify, and then I want you to give me your last thought. Something about 150 grand. Was that what you were saying? Was that was the initial initial payment so you could just do some some water uh, storage and creation? Is that what you, and that's what that was? 
Yeah. Yep. Correct. That's, you know, our, our total project's going to be a little bit over 300,000 native energy is putting up some money up front. And then, you know, it, I say cost share, but we're sequestering that carbon to pay it back. So technically we are paying for the project. Um, one thing I did want to add earlier is, you know, if native four or five years and samples the soil, and we didn't sequester as much as they paid us for. That's the risk is on them. Um, you know, we've had attorneys look at this contract and it's very producer friendly. And we could talk about this for another 30 minutes, but it, it is a big risk mitigation tool right now. And I something I'm passionate about. And um, I, I think more ranches in eastern Montana, you know, the grassland prairies are going to start looking into this. So if somebody, yeah, I, first off, thanks you for saying that. So you're doing everything and they come out and they do verify that you're doing these projects. You can't just take their money and say, ah, sucker. Yeah. You don't even know where Montana is. You actually are doing the stuff that they, that they pay you to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you know, we're providing receipts for the infrastructure install, providing grazing reports. Uh, you provide a grazing plan at the start of every year. So that's going to be about March. Uh, we don't graze till middle of April. And then you provide a final grazing uh, outcome, you know, that can be anywhere from 15th of January. And then you said that if, if at the end of five years, they come back and pull soil probes and they say, you know what, we thought we we're getting five tons, three tons, whatever. And, and we're not getting three tons. You don't have to pay them back. Cause you're like, Hey, you verified we were doing everything right. So like you said, the risk is on them on that part. Okay. Correct. And then on the other hand, if the model suggests about 0.75 tons per acre, if we're actually sequestering two, they will readjust the model going forward. But what we were underpaid on, we are not recouped. There's a little bit of risk shared both ways, which I think is fair. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, if you do a better job than the than the estimate was, you'll get that in the next five years. Is that what you're saying? You Okay. Yeah, exactly. If somebody wants to find everybody on this, uh, on this podcast. Okay. Let's start with, um, let's start with the most important one here, Western sustainability. It sounds like you're the hookup on finding the money. Is that right? Correct. Yep. And you can just Google us Western sustainability exchange. You can also look up native energy, Google either one of those grazing carbon credits, Montana grasslands, carbon project, any of those will get you to us. And then if I want to send my California friends that manage hedge funds over to buy out the Louis Petrie Ranch, who do I, how do I have them get a hold of you, Sam? You, you call uh, Joe Biden at the White House. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where do they find, where do they find uh, you if they have any questions? Because there are going to be some other yeah. ranchers that say, and I, if you're okay with that, because you said you're one of five in Montana that's actually gone through with this, there's going to be a lot of folks. If they want to hunt you down, is that possible? Are you okay with that, Tyrell? Well, yeah, I think we're okay. If, I was, I was going to mention earlier, Ty and I and Chris have done a couple of these. A guy from Bloomberg, we had a Zoom with him, and we always ended, and I'll do the same with you, is I'd love to show you our place, show you what we're doing. You, it's easy to sit here and talk about it, but without walking around the ranch and seeing what's going to happen, it's hard to imagine. But, yeah, if people want to contact, I would say Ty more than me, but either one of us, um, I don't know, Ty, you want to give him a phone number, address, what do you want to do? Yeah, I would just say I'm, I'm involved with Western Sustainability Exchange. And if any rancher has any uh, questions or wants some advice, I would just contact Western Sustainability Exchange via email. I know they're excellent about replying. 
you know, I'd be happy to talk about like how we went through this process or what kind of what I have in mind for grazing or herd management. There you go. So go to Western Sustainability Exchange's website. You can find them, Western Sustainability Exchange. And then if you, when you do get a hold of somebody, remember you spoke with Chris Mayhus, uh, Mayhus, who's on my web, on my podcast here. And you can reference the Damian Mason Business of Agriculture podcast with uh, ranchers in Montana. And by golly, they'll set you up and get you going on that. I appreciate you guys being on here. I love the topic. I want to check back and circle back and a couple of years and see where this goes because again i'm i'm watching this uh probably more than some and uh i'm looking for how i can get a, a dollar or two for uh, for my farm ground here so anyway uh chris thanks for being on here tyrell thanks for being on here sam appreciate you being a good sport uh very much appreciate it you guys are awesome and uh, reminder, dear listener, that uh, if you want to delve into this topic more, if you want, if you want to give me a suggestion on a different offshoot of this very environmental payment type of a concept that we're seeing now in ag, if you've got a contact, if you have some good story for me to tell, please contact me. You know how to find me. I'm Damian Mason. DamianMason.com is my website. And certainly, as I said, find me uh, on YouTube and hit the uh, subscribe for that. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. You bet. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. This episode of The Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Land Trust. Landowners just like you are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use. Millions of recreators actively seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Owners of farm and ranch properties are partnering with Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit LandTrust.com BOA, as in Business of Agriculture, to learn more. That's LandTrust.com BOA.